Hey everyone, I'm Ray Belli, and this is Words for Granted, a podcast that looks at how words change over time. If you value this podcast as a free and independent educational resource, you can support the show by making a monthly donation at patreon.com slash wordsforgranted. You can also make a one-time donation at paypal.me slash wordsforgranted. Thanks to Jim, Chris, Tim, James, and Toldry for their recent contributions. In the previous episode, we looked at the etymologies of the English meal words breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We learned that the meanings of these words and the time of day associated with them have shifted over time, particularly in the case of dinner. Dinner was once the name of the lunchtime meal, which for much of history would have been the biggest meal of the day. It wasn't until the late 19th and early 20th centuries that dinner came to be standardized as the third meal of the day served in the evening. Anyway, over the course of my research, I found that some dialectal non-standard senses of dinner were still in use today, senses that preserved the centuries-old convention of dinner as the lunchtime meal. Quite frankly, I'd never encountered such usages in my own life, so I asked listeners to send me a note if they happened to use dinner or other meal words in non-standard ways. And to my surprise, a lot of listeners did. And over the course of the past few weeks, I got more than a handful of long and thoughtful emails from English speakers from all over the world sharing first-hand and second-hand experiences of non-standard meal word usage. This very standard American English speaker found these international personal stories very interesting, and assuming that many of you also speak some national form of standard English, I thought that you might find them interesting too. So before we jump into today's main topic, which is the etymology of pasta and some other pasta-related words, let's take a look at some of these personal stories of non-standard English together. While growing up in Lancashire, England, listener Emerald used the word dinner to refer to the lunchtime meal. In school during the 80s and 90s, at midday, Emerald was served school dinners that were paid for with dinner money. While the word lunch is known and understood in Lancashire, this dialectal term dinner, meaning lunch, has largely stuck around through the present day. The main meal of the day, eaten around 5 p.m., is called tea, while supper is a small snack one has before going to bed. Similar dialectal usages can also be found in the neighboring English region of Yorkshire. Later in life, Emerald moved to the Netherlands, and they switched from dinner to lunch as their default word for the midday meal, and from tea to dinner as their default word for the evening meal. They made these switches in order to be better understood by Dutch ESL speakers because these Dutch ESL speakers spoke a more standard English dialect than their own. Listener Alpha, an immigrant to England from France, recounted a story where an English colleague invited him over for dinner. Though he'd moved to England, Alpha's sense of English was largely shaped by American English thanks to his exposure to American pop culture. As such, he took dinner to mean dinner in the standard American sense, that is, the evening meal. So, 
Alpha showed up to his colleague's home early, knowing that English tend to eat earlier than French, but when his colleague answered the door, she said, I thought you weren't coming. To which Alpha replied, Oh, what time did you want me to come? To which his colleague said, Twelve. To which Alpha replied, Oh, so you meant lunch. To which his colleague gave him a look as if he'd said something profane. Alpha and other listeners who wrote in noted that many British working-class people use the words breakfast, dinner, and tea as their meal words, while more upper-class British people use breakfast, lunch, and dinner. While growing up in Northern Ireland, listener John, like Emerald, also used dinner to mean the midday meal and supper to mean the evening meal. Also like Emerald, John wound up moving abroad later in life, more specifically to Israel, and he too adopted the standard English meal words in order to avoid misunderstandings with international ESL speakers. If you listened to the previous episode, you may recall that I mentioned my mother, an Italian-American from New Jersey, now in her mid-60s, often uses supper to mean dinner. She says she picked that up from her mother. Interestingly, listener Laura is also an Italian-American from New Jersey who's in her mid-60s, and she also says that her parents call dinner supper, and so she calls dinner supper. Laura also noted that her husband from Iowa, whom I presume is roughly the same age, used to use the word dinner to mean lunch while growing up, but he no longer does in order to avoid confusion. Perhaps my favorite insight comes from listener Nathan from Prince Edward Island in Atlantic Canada. Nathan's email was written with such clarity that I'm just going to quote the relevant excerpt from his email verbatim. Quote, Generally speaking, here on Prince Edward Island, confusion arises when it comes to talking about meals. Breakfast is always breakfast, lunch is always at the noon hour, or lunchtime, and supper is always in the evening, or supper time, as I would more naturally say, which on Prince Edward Island, still being such a farm community, is at 5 p.m. Now, when it comes to dinner, Dinner can refer either to the noon hour meal or the evening meal. It can be used interchangeably for either of these with ambiguity. In the same way that time needs an indicator, like 7 a.m. versus 7 p.m., dinner may at times need clarification, as in dinner this afternoon or dinner this evening. Interestingly, supper can never be lunch, and lunch can never be supper, but a small meal at any point in the day can be called a lunch, such as a picnic lunch. This sense of lunch always requires the qualifier, a. Uh. In asking my mother, who is older, she tells me that dinner refers to the largest meal of the day, no matter what time you eat it, while lunch and supper are contingent on the time of day which they're eaten. End quote. Listener Keegan from the nearby Canadian province of Nova Scotia confirms these usages in his own dialect, adding that urban speakers tend to use breakfast, lunch, supper, while rural speakers tend to use breakfast, lunch, dinner, or breakfast, dinner, supper. He notes that this dichotomy is not hard and fast, and that many speakers agree that dinner represents an event, not the meal. So you might have friends over for dinner, but you will eat supper. Fascinating stuff, right? Thanks again to everybody who wrote in. I couldn't have shared any of that without you. 
I hope all of you listening right now enjoyed hearing from some of your fellow Words for Granted fans. And without further ado, let's get on to pasta. Pasta is a generic term for a variety of dishes originally from Italy, consisting of dough made from durum wheat, typically cooked in boiling water, and served with some kind of sauce. While first attested in English in the 1870s, pasta actually didn't become a common term in the English-speaking world until the mid-20th century. That may be later than many of you may have expected, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's start at the beginning. If we trace pasta as far back as we can go, we find ourselves at the reconstructed Proto-Indo-European root word, quecht, which meant to shake. For those who might not know, Proto-Indo-European is the prehistoric mother tongue once spoken on the Eurasian steppe roughly between 4500 and 2500 BCE. Over the course of many centuries and migrations, the language splintered off into the Indo-European language families known to history, whose Donner languages are still spoken today. This root word, along with all other Proto-Indo-European root words, had to be reconstructed through linguistic extrapolation because Proto-Indo-European was spoken before the invention of writing systems, so we have no extant record of the language as it was. Anyway, this root word, quecht, sounds nothing like the word pasta, and its meaning, to shake, also doesn't seem to have much to do with the meaning of pasta. So let's investigate this. While pasta might feel like an inherently Italian word, it was actually a Greek word first, an ancient Greek word at that. That Proto-Indo-European root word, quecht, passed into Greek as the verb passo, meaning to sprinkle, often to sprinkle with salt. The evolution of a word that sounds like quecht into a word that sounds like passo can be explained by a uniform sound change that occurred in the Greek branch of the Indo-European family tree. When Proto-Indo-European root words containing the consonant sound qu passed into Greek, that consonant sound experienced a unique and uniform sound shift to the p sound, hence the p in the Greek passo, and by extension the p in pasta today. For the Indo-European PhDs out there, I should acknowledge that under certain linguistic parameters, the Proto-Indo-European qu sound shifted to other sounds in the Greek language as well, but these technicalities are far beyond relevant to our current story, so I'm going to leave those out. Out of this Greek verb passo, which again meant to sprinkle with salt, evolved the noun pasta, which meant food that has been sprinkled with salt. Over time, the word pasta specifically became associated with a salty, barley-based porridge. As Latin-speaking Romans expanded throughout the ancient Mediterranean and absorbed Greek lands and culture into their own lands and culture, they also absorbed Greek words. By the time the Romans had picked up this word pasta, it had acquired a wider meaning than just a salty barley porridge. In Latin, Pasta became the word for dough, and more generally, foods made from dough. As Latin splintered into the Romance languages, like Italian, Spanish, and French, these languages inherited this sense of pasta as dough, or any dough-based food. Initially, many of these dough-based foods were cakes and other desserts. In Old French, these foods came to be known as pastairie, 
a word that passed into English in the 15th century as pastries, making pasta and pastry etymologically cognate. In late Latin and the Romance languages, pasta gradually began to refer not only to dough and dough-based foods, but also to other dough-like substances, such as paste. In Old French, dough-like substances acquired the name paste, distinct from pasta, and this word paste, you guessed it, is indeed where the English word paste comes from. Dough, for the record, is a Germanic native English word. Like pastry, the French-derived word paste is an older borrowing into English than its Italian-derived linguistic cousin, pasta. The first attestation of paste in the English language is in the early 14th century. Initially, paste was just another word for dough, but in the 15th century, it started to be used in a non-culinary sense of a glue-like substance used to fill holes or as an adhesive. In the 16th century, it further developed its sense as any composition soft enough to be moist and malleable without liquefying. Of course, these 15th and 16th century developments are still the main senses of paste used today, while the sense of paste explicitly referring to dough has died out. I should note that over time, that old French word paste would go on to produce the word pâté. Pâté is the name of a specific French dish made from meat ingredients pureed into a paste, which in English we anglicize as pâté. This fact makes the English words pâté and paste etymological doublets, two different words derived from the same immediate etymon, or etymological ancestor. The British English word pasty ultimately derives from this old French root as well. For my American listeners who might not know, a pasty is a meat-filled pastry, kind of like a savory turnover, traditionally from Cornwall, but now common throughout the UK. The first time I visited the UK, I mistakenly called a pasty a pasty, because it's spelled P-A-S-T-Y, and I was laughed at by my British friends because pasties are, of course, nipple coverings worn by exotic dancers. By the way... Pasty, in this sense, is indeed a diminutive form of paste, so-called because nipple coverings are pasted over the breast, so we can add pasty to our growing list of cognates with pasta. Our list is actually going to keep getting longer. Before English would go on to borrow pasta in its modern sense in the 19th century, it would first borrow a few more of its very closely related linguistic cousins from both French and Italian. Curveball, these linguistic cousins, or cognates, all have to do with art. An early 17th century French word for crayons or chalk was pastel, itself derived from an Italian diminutive form of pasta. Crayons and chalk were, and still are, made from a pigmented paste-like base, hence this etymology. Over time, the anglicized form pastel narrowed to refer to a specific oil-based art medium as opposed to chalk or wax-based crayons. In the late 19th century, the word pastel began to appear as an adjective divorced from the art medium and generally applied to pale or light colors resembling those of pastels. 
You know those paintings where the paint is applied to the canvas in thick layers that actually pop out at you and you can see the brush strokes? This painting technique is called impasto, which is an Italian loan word ultimately derived from this same root we've been discussing all along, pasta. Impasto is actually the modern Italian word for dough or mixture, and its verb form, impastare, means to knead or to paste. The idea behind the artistic sense of impasto is that when you look at a painting created in this deliberate style, you get a direct glimpse into the paste-like mixture, the paint, that went into its creation. More esoterically, the term impasto is also used by archaeologists to describe ancient Italian pottery made from an impure mixture of clay and silica content. In some 16th century dialects of Italian, the word pasticcio, a diminutive variation of the word pasta, emerged in reference to pies containing a messy mixture of meat and pasta. Pasticcio soon became a generalized term meaning something messy or mixed up. The Italian expression essere nei pasticci, literally to be in pasticcio, figuratively means to be in trouble. Ironically, out of this more general sense of pasticcio developed a more specific metaphorical sense referring to artistic works of mixed style or sources, whether in painting, music, literature, or architecture. English borrowed this artistic sense of pasticcio from Italian in the mid-18th century, but today, the more familiar English form of the word is pastiche. Pastiche is not an anglicization of pasticcio, but rather the French version of the word. English separately borrowed pastiche from French a century after it borrowed pasticcio from Italian, and the French form of the word is the one that ultimately stuck around. Depending on the artistic medium described and the historical context of the work, the term pastiche may have slightly different meanings and connotations, but this general sense of an eclectic mix of sources or styles is constant across the board. Thus far, we've discussed a lot of words etymologically related to pasta, but we haven't yet once spoken about pasta itself, at least not in its modern sense of the Italian food made from durum wheat dough and cut into various shapes to be served in sauce. As I mentioned earlier, pasta, the word, is not attested in the English written record until the 1800s, but Pasta, the food, is much older than that, both internationally and within the English-speaking world. According to the popular imagination, Marco Polo brought back pasta to Italy from his travels to Asia in the 1200s, but this is not entirely correct. While it's true that the noodle was first invented in the East, variations of the noodle, and hence pasta, had made its way westward and been Europeanized long before Marco Polo's travels. Side note, noodle is a German loanword with an unknown etymology that was borrowed into English in the 1700s. This is why we refer to German spatzel as noodles and not pasta. You might realize this at a subconscious level, but it's worth saying out loud that what semantically distinguishes the umbrella term pasta from the umbrella term noodle is that pasta encompasses exclusively Italian dishes, while the umbrella term noodle is more ethnically neutral. 
It can be used to refer to cooked strips of dough from a variety of cultures ranging from Germany to Sweden to China to Thailand, etc. Traditionally, Italian pasta is also made from durum wheat, while non-Italian noodles could be made from a variety of other base ingredients. However, the colloquial distinction between these terms is practically non-existent. If you Google the word noodle, many Italian variations of pasta are among the highest search results. In fact, many dictionary definitions of noodle literally include the word pasta. For example, a noodle is a strip, ring, or tube of pasta or a similar dough typically made with egg and usually eaten with a sauce or in a soup. Semantically similar to both pasta and noodle is the umbrella term macaroni. A minute or two ago, I said that pasta, not the word, but the food designated by the word, was known to the English-speaking world before the 1800s, and during this earlier period, it would have gone by the term macaroni. Macaroni is, of course, a word we still use today, and colloquially, it's basically a synonym for pasta. Like pasta, macaroni is also a loan word from Italian that specifically refers to Italian foods. It also may have a semantically similar etymology to pasta. Recall that pasta was originally an ancient Greek word for a salty barley porridge. Well, many linguists believe that macaroni derives from the Greek word makaria, which was a general term for food made from barley. As we saw with the evolution of the word pasta, if the Latin-speaking Romans did indeed pick up macaroni from the Greeks, over time, they would have adapted it to fit their own evolving cuisines. An alternative etymology derives macaroni from the Latin verb macare, meaning to batter or crush, which is a reference to how the food is produced. Interestingly, Macaroni and macaroons, as in the light colorful cookies made with egg white sugar and usually ground almonds or coconut, macaroni and macaroons are doublets derived from the same Italian root macarone. During the medieval period, many pastries had sweet and savory variants. Macaroni represents the evolution of macarone's savory variant, while macaroon represents the evolution of its sweet variant. As described in the written record, the original medieval Italian macarone probably resembled a dumpling or gnocchi. That said, macaroni is first recorded in English during the 16th century. To the average English during the subsequent two centuries, Macaroni would have been a rare and exotic dish, but many wealthy young Englishmen who had the privilege of traveling abroad to continental Europe had developed a liking for Italian macaroni, and they probably condescendingly bragged about how great it was. Because of this, macaroni developed a pejorative sense in British English during the 18th century and became an adjective for overly effeminate, fashionable, and pretentious aristocratic young British men. That verse in Yankee Doodle Dandy that says he stuck a feather in his cap and called it macaroni is an anachronistic insult that's lost on us today. Interestingly, the earliest popularizer of the word macaroni in America was Thomas Jefferson. According to his personal writings, Jefferson loved macaroni, by which he meant pasta, generally speaking, and he even ordered for a macaroni maker to be sent to him in America from Europe. 
If you're so inclined, you can find Thomas Jefferson's own recipe for homemade macaroni on the internet. Now, in modern English, what is the semantic distinction between macaroni and pasta? Technically, macaroni refers to narrow tube-shaped pasta like elbow pasta or the kind of noodles in classic Kraft macaroni and cheese. But I think this technicality is largely negligible in common speech. As I've mentioned in previous episodes in this food-themed season, I come from a pretty serious Italian-American family, which means that macaroni, aka pasta, aka macaroni, aka pasta, was a regular staple in my household growing up. What I mean to say by this is that my Italian family uses these words interchangeably. I wouldn't refer to lasagna or stuffed pastas like ravioli or monacotti, aka monagot, as macaroni, but I think all pastas are fair game to be called macaroni. Due to the overwhelming amount of responses I got from last episode's publicly posed question around non-standard usages of dinner, here's another question I'd like to hear your thoughts on. Do you categorically distinguish pasta from macaroni from noodles in colloquial speech? And if so, what qualifies as one versus the other? You can send me an email at wordsforgranted at gmail.com, and again, if I hear back from enough of you, I'll share your responses at the start of the next episode. If you're wondering how pasta overtook macaroni as the more all-encompassing term, it probably had to do with the influx of Italian immigrants to America during the late 19th and early 20th centuries. In Italian, pasta was, and is the more general term for the many variations of durum wheat dough products, and as Italian immigrants increasingly intermingled with American English speakers, Americans caught on to this new word. From America, the word pasta was then spread throughout the rest of the English-speaking world. Something I wanted to do in this episode was to look at the etymology of some specific kinds of pasta— ziti, spaghetti, fettuccine, tortellini, etc. However, we're way over time, so I'm going to record that as a bonus episode on Patreon. Now, I know I haven't recorded a bonus episode in quite a long time because, frankly, I can barely keep up with the release of the regular podcast as it is, but I promise that I'll be releasing that in about a week. So, if you'd like to check it out, go to patreon.com slash wordsforgranted and you'll gain access to it for just one dollar a month. You can also donate five hundred dollars a month if you want, but just one dollar will do the trick. Okay, that's it for today's episode. I hope you loved it. I encourage you to leave a rating and a review wherever you listen to the podcast. And again, my email is wordsforgranted at gmail.com. Have a great day and I'll catch you next time. I hopefully will have an exciting announcement to make then, so stay tuned.